0: Hi, Gary Zacharias here with The Apologist Bookshelf. In an earlier podcast, I had uh, talked about Understanding the Faith, which is part of a series. And the whole series is called Understanding the Times series. Well, I'd like to do the other book that I have uh, read in that field called Understanding the Times, a survey of competing worldviews. And I really like the structure, the way this book is laid out. It tells you, first of all, what are the major worldviews that are out there, like Christianity and Islam and secularism and postmodernism and Marxism and the new spirituality and things like that. And then what it does is it goes through eight ways, I guess you'd say, eight parts of life that these worldviews focus on. So things like theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics and history so what you get then like if i'm going to do the chapter in biology in just a minute so whenever you pick a topic then you read through and find out what do the secularists say when it comes to biology what do the marxists say regarding biology Postmodernists, new spirituality islam and christianity so really by the time they finish they've covered most of the major worldviews and how they wrestle with and how they uh, talk about these various Aspects of life, so interesting idea. Uh, I May mean, have read books on worldviews, but they don't go into this kind of detail with areas like philosophy or sociology. You know, what what does Marxism say about sociology? What do, what does Islam say about law? What does Marxism say about politics? Well, I'm guessing a lot. But anyway, so you've got the idea. Well, let's do the chapter on. By the way, the the book is um, Jeff Myers and David Noble. Okay, that's N-O-E-B-E-L, Jeff Myers and David Noble. Uh, Powerful book, it's huge, (laughs) but it's nothing that you necessarily have to read through. You could pick a topic and just read uh, the different worldviews and how they approach the topic. I wanted to do the chapter on biology, and it's interesting because it actually starts with that famous monkey trial in 1925, the Scopes trial in Tennessee, and they talk about the movie that was made out of it called Inherit the Wind and how backward it got it, it got everything about it backwards. Uh, but after that, it says, um, it's talking about the conflict between faith and science. Of course, that was played up in the movie, unfairly, by the way. The the real story, if you look at the actual events, very different than the movie. The movie was actually designed to make Christianity look bad. But anyway, so what they're going to focus on for this chapter says, you Biology becomes a battlefield in a sense that there's a conflict between faith and science. And so it says biologists study life, of course, and and trying to find out what life is all about and how it came about and things like that. It says uh, the question of how life arose is part of every worldview. Every worldview has to wrestle with that and try to figure out how did life get started. It's it's ground zero for building a meaningful, meaningful view of the world, which is what a worldview is. And so it says, once you talk about origins, that's your basic foundational level, and that steers the value of its people. So for example, we talk about the Judeo-Christian worldview, what's its origin story? It says that people who are morally culpable culpable, were made in God's image and for companionship with one another. And if you buy into that, if you think that's the way things got started, that leads to a, a view of free will. It leads to the intrinsic value of human life and traditional marriage. If you buy into the Darwinian origin story, on the other hand, what do you have there? You have people in constant competition with each other, not trying to flourish in harmony, but to survive at the expense of others, a pursuit of unbridled power. Where you begin, they say, will determine where you end up. Great consequences. How, how should we organize our human society? So they're going to talk about those six worldviews that I mentioned to you earlier and see how they approach the study of life and how they support those views. So the first worldview is secularism. And I don't know how far I'm going to get with this because there's a lot of material in this chapter, but I'll, I'll get as far as I can as quickly as I can. So secularism, they start with a quote by George Gaylord Simpson, man is the result of a purposeless and natural process that did not have him in mind. He was not planned. And so the idea is the universe looks designed, but it's not. It's it's not at all. They believe that the Darwin explanation of evolution is correct, and that explains the complexity of life. Okay, the idea that living things... By the way, they, they then go to two definitions, microevolution and macro. Make sure we don't get them confused. The idea that living things have small adaptive changes over time, that's microevolution. So that'd be minor changes that we see inside species, for example, dogs or breeds of cows and things like that. So nobody argues about that. That's an observable part of science. But where we do have a struggle is the idea of macroevolution, that these changes can lead one species to become a totally different species. So what it does, basically, macroevolution says, see micro? See microevolution? Well, then that goes on. We can't see it, but that's what's happened over enough time. So now, when you use that word evolution, of course, you always want to ask people, what do you mean by that? That's one of Greg Kokel's questions. So when people use that term evolution, they're basically saying the first speck of life emerged from non-living things and then slowly evolved into one-celled organisms, some of which, through a ton of genetic mutations, natural selection has turned into more complex organisms. And finally, ta-da, here we are, human beings. Okay, so that's the background. So the secularist view of biology is that no life exists that cannot be explained by unguided natural mechanisms. Now, how does that happen? It's natural selection acting on genetic mutation. So uh, one they quote one leading evolutionary biologist, Francisco Ayala. He talks about in evolution, there is no entity or person who is selecting these combinations of changes and all. So it says natural selection does not operate according to some preordained plant. So you notice, again, God is totally out of this. And then they come up with, a, the biologists came up with the term neo-Darwinism neo-Darwin, in the 30s, where they took Darwin's ideas of natural selection and they hooked it up to the new science of genetics. So it's basically saying that how do you get new species? It's natural selection that acts on huge amount of time, but it's chance mutations in DNA. So given enough time, species will have enough genetic changes to actually change themselves into entirely different species. So it says, well, if that's the case, how would you know that it's true? How could you test this assertion that it's this random chain process going on for millions and millions and millions of years? And their answer, secular answer, would be, it's got to be the fossil record. I mean, after all, if you've got billions of animals, we, we should see some evidence and fossilized remains of that transition, moving from one animal to another. In fact, Carl Sagan, a uh, mouthpiece for anything atheistic, said, Evolution is a fact, amply demonstrated by the fossil record. Well, what's interesting is that in Darwin's day, the, the evidence was missing. People were just starting to dig into the ground some. And, of course, Darwin and the followers hope that, well, given enough time, they'll dig up enough uh, fossils and we'll begin to see this change that occurred. Uh, Stephen J. Gould, a Harvard paleontologist, uh, admitted, though, that he says, the overwhelming prevalence of stasis, in other words, no change, became an embarrassing feature of the fossil record. So we're not seeing that kind of change that's out there. In fact, Gould goes on to say, the absence of fossil evidence... For intermediary stages between major transitions and organic design has been a persistent and nagging problem for gradualistic accounts of evolution. In other words, things should be changing all the time into other things. So we should just dig down and find the bones and the remains to see these animals coming and going, turning into other forms. And they're not seeing that. So Gould came up with something called punctuated equilibrium to say There's nothing that goes on for a long time, and all of a sudden, a big jump. Uh, Well, that hasn't turned out to be very popular. Okay, so um, secularists, of course, are going to deny intelligent design, but the problem is they're just assuming that. They just assume at the beginning that no design is possible, so then they decide that no design took place. Yeah, no kidding, because they're starting with that as their premise, because they're secularists. Okay, so that's the secular view of biology. What about the Marxist view? Well, they, the Marxists, starting with Marx, loved the idea of Darwin because it was kind of tying into his idea of class warfare. So for Marx, only matter existed, and then Darwin's theory, of course, made that plausible. And more importantly, he thought that evolutionary idea of Darwin would justify his view of human society. I mean, after all, If biological life evolves into greater complexity, maybe sociological life does too. Then you'd end up with with his longed-for classless state. So those two connect together, Marx and Darwin. Marx was hoping that history was spiraling upward, as the Darwin story was uh, talking about. Well, all right, so there's the Marxist view. It says the Marxist view of life arising through random chance is pretty close to the secularist view. What about postmodernists? Now everything is a story according to postmodernists. All right, so it's just a story. They—it's funny—they reject any other meta narrative, any other story about how life works. They reject it all, but they kind of like the evolutionary meta narrative. They're okay with that because why? It displaces humans as a central focus. They believe that modern science has shattered all these early religious myths of Adam and Eve. So. We don't believe God created humanity. And then, secondly, technological efforts make it meaningless to talk about the idea of a person because people and computers are starting to get so close together. Third, our talk about persons is about our use of language. It's not any essential human being. It's just language, just jabber-jabber talk. Okay. Postmodernists seem to have given up on the search for objective knowledge. So if if we think we have it, they seem to say it must be in all our heads. Chance rules. Of course, that's Darwin's idea, isn't it? Chance rules. Christian, uh, people have no purpose. Christians say, no, it's still worthwhile to search for true knowledge. So postmodernists are a little discouraged about the whole idea of uh, searching for how things happen. What about new spirituality? Here's a, another worldview. New spiritualist biology is based on the idea of evolutionary change over time. They call it spiritual evolution, not biological evolution. It's just the idea that humanity is moving upward toward higher consciousness. Deepak Chopra says the same thing. He's, of course, a spokesperson for this. By the way, he's uh, debated with Greg Kokel. If you have a chance to see uh, that debate, that would be worthwhile because uh, Kokel does a great job. But Chopra says spirituality can be seen as a higher form of evolution. So it's, we're heading toward a collective consciousness, a higher consciousness. Our thoughts are evolving now. Not everybody's going to evolve at the higher, at the even rate, though, toward this higher consciousness. But when enough people get to this level of higher consciousness, others get absorbed or evolve into this enlightened collective consciousness. Okay, so you just you need to be a catalyst. You don't it doesn't have to be everybody. Just some people. And so eventually there'll be some kind of evolutionary leap into a higher consciousness and they'll pull everybody up with them. Okay, and then once that higher consciousness is achieved, humanity will be at one with itself in collective godhood. They'll be together in consciousness, in oneness, or you know whatever term that you want to come up with. So evolutionary biology for these new spiritualists isn't really important in and of itself, except that it's a starting point for us to leap toward that higher consciousness. Here's another worldview, Islam. Actually, Islam is very close to Christianity. They, both of them reject this materialistic worldview. And they said that there is a God and that he did create. So they actually are beginning to be attracted, Muslim uh, scholars are being attracted to the idea of intelligent design. And at the end of that section, the authors say, this is good news for Christians wishing to dialogue with Muslims there are certain places where there's common ground. And it says biology turns out to be one of these areas. Well, then the last worldview is Christianity. Pretty obvious, but we know that uh, Christianity says there's a God and he created us. Now, he says, of course, we got a little skirmishing going on here. like, when did this happen? How did it happen? There are about three main views that they point out among Christians regarding how creation took place. I think they're even more than that. When you read Genesis, I've done a talk on uh, the approaches to Genesis, but these are the three probably most famous. First is what's called young age creationism, that something like 6,000 years ago, God created all living organisms pretty much in their present uh, form. Then there's something called progressive creationism, some kind, sometimes called old earth. God created all these organisms over time. At different time periods, but it was God doing it. It was not uh, evolution. So, progressive creationists are not evolutionists. Third one is called theistic evolution, that God works through evolution. Uh, I think that's got some huge problems, but anyway, I agree. Those are the three main ideas out there. Um, so, the main thing is that all three of those groups agree that the universe, and especially life on Earth, had to have a designer. And so I'm going to uh, probably stop at this point because I will do a separate talk sometime on why Christians buy into God doing this as opposed to evolution doing it. But um, yeah, because there's still some more material here. Like I said, this is a book that's rich. It's got a lot of material. So I wanted to especially spend the time in this podcast, let you know what other worldviews say about biology. So I hope this gives you an idea. Like I said, it covers these major worldviews and it looks at all these aspects of life, uh, things like ethics and biology, like I did law, sociology, economics, history, but from these various worldview perspectives. And then we show, we can show as we read this material, we can show that Christianity actually offers the best answers. That's something we need to talk about. Christianity is the closest to reality. It's the best worldview there is. It's not just a worldview. It is the one that makes the most sense. So again, the book is called Understanding the Times. It's a survey of competing worldviews. Powerful, lots of good material in here. Uh, Del Tackett, who's a researcher and architect of something called the Truth Project, says this is a worldview classic. And other people are giving it thumbs up. So something you might want to consider, good book. Thanks for your time and um, hope to catch you next time when we do another podcast.